Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Hi, good morning, everyone. Let's take out our Bibles today. And uh, today, let's turn to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Uh, we're in a study as a church uh, going through the book of Exodus. And uh, today we come to the sixth chapter of this beautiful story in uh, the Old Testament. I wanted to say, if you're new here to the church, my name's Nate, and uh, I'll be there at the intro to Calvary tonight, and I'd love to meet you there, or I'll be in the Welcome Center after service and would love to say uh, hello to you. And uh, before we get into the Word, I wanted to say to you that, that when it comes to the effectiveness of our church in this community... For lots and lots of reasons, one of the most important ministries that we have here in this church is Calvary Kids. Uh, This ministry is a beacon of truth and love to the next generation, which is so important. They, They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear of the gospel. They need to hear the truth of God's word. They're hearing so many other things. And Uh, Calvary Kids makes it possible for waves of parents to attend the church gathering and center their lives on God, which is also crucial for our community. And so it's a ministry that helps Jesus famous be furthered in the lives of children and also in the lives of parents. Now, the good news is that there are 30% more children in Calvary Kids this fall than at the same time last year. So Our ministry is doing great, and God is reaching families and children with the love of Jesus. Uh, But because of that growth, we've been doing a three-week recruitment window where we're trying to bring in new volunteers to help meet the demand in that ministry. And this is the last Sunday morning that we are going to bug you about it uh, as a church. Now, to run this ministry well... Uh, meaning that people are on a rotation, they're not required to be there every week, and that they don't burn out, Uh, we would ideally have a team of 80 to 90 adults involved and engaged, adults and teenagers uh, engaged. Just to give you an image of what that might look like here in this room, every single row of seats, maybe one person from every single row in all the services, including over there in Sanctuary 2, I see you guys, Uh, we would need to serve in order for us to meet that goal or that demand. Right now, we don't have 80 or 90. We have 56 people engaged in the ministry. Uh, But unfortunately, this fall recruitment that we've had has yielded three people who are interested. And we praise God for those three, but we were shooting for more like 30. Uh, Now, of those 30, some will be with big kids, others will be with little kids, some will teach, others will support, some will be men, some will be women, some will be young, and some will be mature. Uh, (laughs) But everyone is important, and everyone is needed. And if you're able to serve uh, in this way, um, at one service twice a month, you guys attend the 9 o'clock service, and so my suggestion is twice a month, come to the nine o'clock service, and then stay to serve at the 11 o'clock service. Uh, If you can do that, please scan the QR code on the card that you received on your way in, or 
Go to calvary.com slash serve or visit the Welcome Center after service and say, I'm, I'm interested. Can you guys take me through the process so that I can be part of this team? There's a little process you need to go through, some training and vetting and all of that. Of course, you're working with kids, uh, but we'll, we want to get you ready uh, for that ministry. So my prayer is that you join us in the work of the Lord here at Calvary Monterey. All right, that's, that's my announcement today. Um, before we read the text, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless Calvary kids, all the ministries of the church, and our time in the Word. Lord, we come before you today and do pray for these precious little ones that you have entrusted to families in this church and to this church, Lord, to care for, to nurture, to raise up, to create, Lord, a safe, loving, Christ-centered Bible-saturated environment for them. We pray, Lord, that it would be a space that feels so much different than other environments that they walk into, preschools and elementary schools. Lord, that when they come to church, we pray that there just be this sense that something is different here about these words, these people, this place. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd reach them. We pray that you'd raise up laborers to care for them. Lord, in that ministry, and in all the ministries of the church. Lord, we commit our time now in the word into your hands. Thank you for the book of Exodus. Thank you for preserving it all these years for us. And we ask that you'd speak to us from it today. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read uh, Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through uh, verse 13 today. Uh, But the Lord said to Moses... Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now here, verse 6, is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time together, these next three verses. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay, when we talk about God, a lot of times we talk about God in 
uh, theological and, and sometimes abstract terms. Uh, we'll, we'll say God is omniscient or God is omnipresent or God is omnipotent. God, God is, in other words, he knows everything. He's everywhere. Uh, he's all powerful. These are truths about God. We, we get them from the Bible. We learn them from the word. Um, but they're often not the straightforward way that God describes himself when he has the microphone. Uh, often God declares himself with words that focus on his role in our lives. In other words, he is all of those things, but his role in our lives is often his focus. A father, redeemer, shepherd, true vine, provider, the one who sees, promise keeper. And uh, in our passage today, that's what God is going to do. God is going to declare, in a sense, who he is. He's told Moses his name is Yahweh or I am. He's the one who rescues his people, hands them an identity, and gives them a purpose. And that's what God is going to talk to Moses about today. Now, like I said, as we read through the passage, uh, we're going to slow down today, and we're going to consider three verses in the middle of this entire section that we read, verse 6 and 7 and 8. Uh, a lot of people think that those three verses are actually a creed that the ancient Israelites would have said quite often. It's very obviously organized in a very specific uh, way. Uh, in it, God is depicted as the main character, and he says that he will do a lot of things. Uh, look at verse 6. He says, I will bring you out. Also in verse 6, I will deliver you. Also in verse 6, I will redeem you. Also in verse, uh, or in verse seven, I will take you as my own. In verse seven also, I will be your God. And in verse eight, I will bring you into the land. And also in verse eight, I will give it to you. So seven, I will statements from God in those three uh, brief verses. Now, some of you are getting nervous right now because you're like, I know what Nate does with seven things. He's gonna try a seven point sermon right now. Uh, but I don't think we need to do that because clearly, these seven I will statements from God are put into three compact clusters. And uh, the reason that we can say that is because at the beginning, at the end, and in the middle of these statements, God says, I am the Lord. It's like a repeated refrain. He starts the whole thing with, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. In the middle, I am the Lord. And at the end, I am the Lord. So if you were to break this into three sections, you'd say, I am the Lord. I will redeem you. That's section one. That's the first thing that God is saying I'm going to do. I am a redeemer. Uh, secondly, I am the Lord. I will make you my own. And then number three, I am the Lord. I will give you the land. And the case I'm going to try to build this morning is that what that means is that he's the one who gives purpose to his people. There, there was a mission they were supposed to accomplish because they'd be recipients of the land of Canaan. But this is what God always does. He redeems or brings people out of slavery. He, he wants to do that for us initially and continually. He wants to bring us out of things. Number two, he wants to give us an identity. He wants to tell us who we really, truly are. We don't have to run around and try to find our identity in a million other things. We can find it in him. And then number three, he wants to give us a purpose. He wants to send us out. He wants to make us a light to the world in which we live. So a redeemer, uh, an identifier, and a 
uh, one who gives us a purpose. This is what God is always doing for his people. Now, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the book of Genesis, they knew Yahweh, they knew the Lord, but apparently they didn't know the Lord like this, the way that I'm describing today or the way these verses describe, because look back in verse two and three. We read it together. It might have sparked something in your head as we went through it. He said, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, you, that might not have caused a problem for you, but the reality is that 162 times in the book of Genesis, God is revealed as Yahweh. God is revealed as the Lord. So what does it mean? You, you might have read that and thought, oh, he must not have called himself that all through Genesis. He's just God Almighty. And then now, new name, Yahweh. But that's not the case. All throughout Genesis, they knew of the Lord as Yahweh. I think what he's saying is in the book of Genesis, they had God's promises, but they did not yet have the full presence and revelation that this Exodus generation was going to receive. Uh, it might be similar to the way that we as Christians, if you're a Christian today, we look back on the cross, right? It's not something that's future that we're anticipating. We look back on it and we feel gratitude for the fuller revelation that we have received that People before the cross were hoping for, anticipating, looking forward to. Uh, maybe the Exodus generation is a generation that got to fully see a side of God that those in Genesis just hadn't yet seen. He redeems, he gives a new identity, he gives purpose. All right, so this morning we're going to slow down and we're going to consider each of those verses in order, each element of God's uh, redemptive plan, starting uh, in verse 6. Uh, where again, we'll read it again. He says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. There's that first phrase. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Okay, the first thing I want you to see is that God, uh, he wants to redeem us. He wants to, in other words, take us out of Egypt. He wanted to take them out of Egypt and proverbially he wants to do the same uh, for us. That's what Moses was to tell Israel, that God would bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. They'd be delivered from their slavery. Uh, God knew, of course, that Pharaoh would only be moved by a mighty hand, so he promised that he would stretch out his arm with great acts of judgment. And we're going to talk about this next week when we look at uh, what many people call the 10 plagues. I'd encourage you to read Exodus 7 through 10 this week so you can familiarize yourself with the crazy plagues that were poured out upon uh, Egypt. We're going to try to look at them in one fell swoop next week so you can pray for me uh, <laughs> as we go through that. I want to draw the big principles from that section. But what God hints at here is that those plagues were acts of judgment. That's what he calls them. Acts of judgment, probably on the false gods there in Egypt, especially of Pharaoh, in order for God to set his people free. Forever, God wanted to be known throughout the world as the true God over all false gods. But he also wanted to be known as the God who redeems his people from slavery. Through the Exodus, everyone would know that God works hard to bring his people out of bondage to other gods or lesser forms of life and worship and into a life-giving relationship with the true God. I mean, if anybody in their era was wondering, what, is, what happens to someone who worships Yahweh? What happens to someone who's allegiant to God? All they had to do was look at the before and after photos 
of the Hebrew people. Uh, At the beginning of the book of Exodus, they are a disordered swarm of slaves busy building storage cities for their masters. And lots of people think that those storage cities that they were building were actually war cities. They were outposts for the Egyptian army to go subjugate the surrounding regions and nations. And the Hebrew people were building that, those facilities for the Egyptians. But at the end of the book, they are not those things at all. They are an organized society of free people busy building a tabernacle where they find peace with God. But to get to that point, they needed to be redeemed. They needed to be redeemed. Uh, Maybe the best way to describe redemption is that it means that someone is re-bought or re-purchased. God made humanity initially, and he especially chose the descendants of Abraham, but they had been acquired by brutal Egyptian masters. So God is going to pay a price to rebuy or repurchase them for himself. God had sworn to his own hurt in Genesis chapter 15 that he would come for Abraham's offspring and set them free from foreign captors. And that's what he's doing here in Exodus. And of course, when Jesus came, He waged the ultimate war against the powers that bound us so that he could redeem us. Galatians 3, 13 and 4, 5, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Or Titus 2, 14, where Paul seems to have echoed the freedom Israel acquired at the original Exodus when he said that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And in Revelation 5, verse 9, we learn that forever God's people are going to sing to Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed or redeemed people for God from every tribe and people, and language, and nation. So a purchasing back. Uh, What this means is that redemption is more than uh, taking a bad situation and using it for good. Sometimes we talk about it like that, like, oh man, I had to go to the DMV today, and the wait was so long, but I totally redeemed the time, and I read the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, or something like that, you know. (laughs) Redemption is more than just taking a bad situation and repurposing it. A redemption is also bigger than uh, reversing your previous mistakes or previous uh, missteps. Uh, You know, like if your friend sells his van in order to buy a moped and you say, just when I think you couldn't get any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. Look it up, kids. It's a reference. Redemption is more than that. Redemption is releasing someone or something from bondage through the payment of a price. What about us? Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 63, 16. He said, God is our father, our redeemer from of old. Do you think of God in that way as your redeemer, the one who has paid a price to purchase you out of something in order to rescue you, to set you free? In what ways is 
our Redeemer God right now trying to bring each of us individually out of Egypt? How does he want to redeem us? You see, if we're honest, we often enter into various forms of captivity, even as Christians, but our God is a Redeemer. His desire is to pull us out of various forms of servitude and into freedom. Sometimes God will work to redeem us from a behavior or a habit that has enslaved us. Uh, These disobediences or sins are forbidden by God precisely because of their harmful effects on our bodies and our minds and our souls. God is not just a cosmic killjoy who is saying to himself, oh, I don't like that. They're having a little bit too much fun. He's seeing a cancerous effect, a deleterious effect take place in our souls. And so he says, don't go there. It's going to hurt you in the long run. It's going to pain you in the long run. And and he sees when we're overcome. God is not content to watch us lay brick after brick on the pyramids of worship to lust and greed or pride. He sees us when we're overcome by laziness and he wants to set us free. He sees when we're overcome by addictions to substances or screens and he wants to set us free. He sees when we're overcome by beliefs and mental patterns that are untrue and out of step with his word and he wants to set us free. That's who God is. Now, when God does this redeeming work, if I could say it like this, I think that it takes us back to day six of creation in a way. On the sixth day of creation, Genesis tells us that humanity was commissioned to fill the earth and subdue it. We were to have a measure of imaging God by reflecting his leadership, by developing the raw material that God had given to us. We were to be in charge over the species and and in charge of ourselves. We were to fill the earth and subdue it in the words of God. Rather than be controlled, we were to subdue. And in their captivity in Egypt, the Hebrew people were controlled by Egypt, so they needed to overcome. Rather than be controlled by our flesh or our world or spiritual forces around us, we must subdue, but because of the problem of inward sin, we need Yahweh's redemptive hand to help deliver us. But his hand is there. He wants to bring us back into this reality. There's a lot of thought these days that, that people, people are thinking that they're thinking very originally when the reality is they're just going along with the world and the world system. And, and my concern for so many even believers is that they're adopting perspectives and philosophies so out of line with God's word, thinking that they have a measure of originality when all they are doing is coming under a system designed to oppress them. God is a redeeming God. He wants to set us free from all of that. So a good question to ask on this first point or this first verse today is the question, what are you building? At the start of Exodus, the Hebrews built, like I said, storage cities, likely outposts for the Egyptian armies. And at the end of Exodus, they built a tabernacle for God to meet with his people. And the question is, are are your words and actions building out a life and society before God? Or are they building up an Egypt-like empire that is against God? Are your actions driving you further from captivity and slavery 
or deeper into captivity and slavery. God is ready, though. He wants to help you build something better. He's our great redeemer. He wants to bring you out. That's always his work. And if I could just pause for a moment and say, especially if you're here today and you know that you are enslaved to a substance or to images, that you cannot break that habit. You cannot do this by yourself. We have a great ministry here on Monday nights, Regeneration. You need to be here and say, I I need help. I, I want to experience the redemption that this redeeming God can facilitate, but he wants to help use other people in your life to deliver that redemption. And uh, so I, I just picture uh, so many of us in this church as like those ancient Hebrews, c- together coming out of slavery. Not singularly, but together coming out. So come out on Monday night if that describes you and watch the Lord redeem uh, your life. Okay, the, the second verse, though, that we want to look at is verse 7. Uh, God said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay, the the second little phrase here shows us that God wants to give us a new identity or that he wants to bring us into himself. He said, I will take you to be my people. Uh, He said that he would be their God. So a real connection there. You you might even remember the words of Jesus, some of the first words that he spoke after he rose from the dead. What did he tell Mary Magdalene? He said, go tell the disciples that I am going to my father and your father, to my God and your God, all right? So that's what's happening here. He's saying, I'm gonna do this work. I'm gonna take them to be my people and I will be their God when I bring them out from under their burdens. Now, if the first statement is all about redemption, this second statement is all about identity, all about identity. People are very infatuated with identity. Who am I in our modern age? But what God is saying is that he would take these people and he would make them into his people. No longer would they trudge through their days as slaves in a foreign land but they would be living life as God's firstborn sons in a land of promise. God wanted them to know him, so he called them out of Egypt and gave them designs for a tent of meeting where they could learn to know him. They could walk in relationship with him. Now, this identity that God was giving to them, that he was stating over them and about them, it was meant to elevate their minds and hearts and perspectives first before it elevated their actions. In other words, God isn't coming in and just saying like, hey, stop acting like a bunch of slaves in Egypt. He, he's, he's, before he gets to their actions, he's trying to get to their hearts. This is who you are. And just as the redemption theme appears all throughout scripture, this theme of God taking people to himself so he can be their God is often on repeat. These two promises, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God, they reverberate throughout the Old and New Testament almost 50 times. It's like God had to remind them, just like he has to remind us over and over again, who we are lest we drift. It's one of the reasons I like taking communion each week because it's like, I forgot who I am. Oh, now I remember afresh. This is who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, this whole thing would be a major shift for Israel. 
Like I said, at the beginning of Exodus, they're serving Pharaoh. By the end, they'll be serving God. And so much of what we do day to day is informed by who we think we are and who we are working to please. I, th I think we live in a time where we have to fight for the identity that God chooses to give to us. It's the very best of all identities, but we have to fight to allow that identity to saturate our hearts. I, I, anytime you're in a time of societal chaos where the foundations and structures that people have relied on historically to get a sense of identity, anytime you're living in a time where those things are shaking or shaken, people freak out and they start looking for new things to attach their identity to. Regionalism, nationalism, political parties, single-issue causes, self-expression, all these things become, this is who I am. But we have to fight hard to find our identity in our relationship with God. Adopted, chosen by him, we are his special people called to serve our world. Uh, we're a kingdom of priests showing everyone the way to our God. So many people are on a pursuit for personal, psychological happiness, but we're meant to find our identity not by searching within, look deep within yourself, what will make you truly satisfied. Nope, we're instead to search our God and his words toward us. I mean, what, what we say to ourselves about ourselves is, is of the utmost importance. Uh, I recently read an article about the actor uh, Jim Carrey, and this is the second Jim Carrey reference this morning for those keeping score at home, and it'll be the last one. But uh, I read that in the early 2000s, uh, he felt like he lost his identity for a season. Uh, apparently what happened to him is, since he's a method actor, which means that he immerses himself in whatever role he's playing, he just lives it out even when they're not rolling, uh, he, at that time, he played a real-life experimental comedian, Andy Kaufman, in the movie Man on the Moon. And uh, he apparently so completely let who Andy Kaufman was override his mind and his thoughts and his will, so much so that during down moments between filming and even for a few months afterward, he said that he forgot who Jim Carrey was and what Jim Carrey thought about the world. And I think that examples like that should tell us something. We are capable, as we construct identities based on feelings, appetites, and desires, we are fully capable to lie to ourselves. We can delude ourselves. We must instead hear what God has to say about us. Made in his image, we must believe that we're at our best when we're living in line with him and his feelings, his appetites, his desires. Now, another way to think of God's desire to identify us with himself is to ask a question. You know, concerning redemption, I said we can ask the question, what am I building? But for God's desire to bring us into himself, we can ask the question, to whom do I belong? To whom do I belong? And if you're in Christ today, the Bible teaches that you've been adopted into God's family. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, which... Pastor Manny quoted from earlier today, but earlier in that section, Paul said, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, 
father. And I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about why it always says sons over and over again. It's not that God is ignoring the female portion of the body of Christ. It's that we receive the position of the son of God when we believe in Jesus. And so we're adopted as he is before the father, male or female before God. Uh, If you're in Christ today, the Bible teaches that you are the bride of Christ. Uh, Through Jeremiah, God spoke of this to Israel, but his words, I think, ring true for us today. It says in Jeremiah 2, thus says the Lord, I remember your devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. There, There was a time in their lives where they recognized it's like we're married to God. That's who we are in him. Adopted and married, we have been brought into a relationship with the living God. Our identity is now completely wrapped up in him, so much so that the New Testament constantly refers to Christians as in Christ Jesus. How closely identified with Jesus are we? Well, according to the New Testament, if you're a Christian, you are in him. Now, if, uh, if God's redemptive work, the first verse that we looked at today, if that brings us back to day six of creation, to subdue, I think that his identity-giving work, it brings us back to day seven of creation. On the seventh day, the Bible says that God rested from his work. Um, and God rested from his work not because he was super pooped on that day, just like, whoo, that was a lot of creating. Um, <laughs> but because he wanted to show us what the whole point of this was for us to slow down and to enjoy him, to be in relationship with him, to know him. So to whom do you belong? You know, when God told Moses how to design the clothing for the Levitical priests, I like it. He said that they needed to wear a turban with a gold plate attached to the front of it. And on this gold plate was to be engraved the words, holy to the Lord. I like that. Now, I'm not gonna suggest that we actually wear these gold plates on our heads that say holy to the Lord. But a question I have is, what would be engraved on your plate if you were to walk around. You know, sometimes we take even good things and make them our full identity. Mom, grandpa, father, pastor. Sometimes we take terrible things and make them our identity. Sinner, unforgiven, a problem. But God, through the blood of Jesus, wants to take us and say, you belong to me, you're holy to me. You're holy to the Lord, you're special to me. The blood of Jesus Christ can produce that in our lives. Okay, let's look at the last uh, verse though, verse eight, and see this kind of third leg of this little tripod. Uh, He says in verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Okay, so God redeems, takes us out of Egypt. God identifies us. 
makes us his. Here, what I want to say is that God wants to send us out to the nations. He wants to give us a purpose. Where, where do I get that? Because all that's happening here is he's saying, I'm going to give the people of Israel, I'm going to give the Hebrew people the land, the land of promise that I've been promising for generations. And I'm, it's, I'm ready. I'm finally going to give the land that I swore to their ancestors for a possession. Well, the, the reason I'm saying this, that it leads to a purpose, is because the land was about so much more than the land. It's about what they were supposed to do with the land. Uh, they were meant to be, according to God, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They were to be a kingdom of priests who broadcast the light of God's nature to the surrounding region. They, they were meant to show God and the nations the name of Yahweh. And through the plagues, God was sure to put them on the front page of every paper. I mean, everybody in that, in that time in the world, everyone's phone dinged with the urgent news alert, Israel's God just defeated Pharaoh. We, we know that because 40 years later, when they arrived in uh, the land of Canaan, there was word still on the streets. Your God defeated Pharaoh and all these other nations on the way here. We, we know of your reputation. God built them a platform partly with the land he'd reserved for them from which to tell everyone about him. In other words, God was not going to redeem them merely for a personal relationship. You know, come over here to the tabernacle and have your personal quiet time and devos with me. He wanted that, but he also wanted to give them a mission. The book of Exodus starts with the Hebrew people serving Pharaoh's mission, but it ends with them on God's mission. And in a sense, you could say that God gave them and God gives us purpose here in this movement. Uh, this purpose was highlighted in the genealogy that comes right after this passage. We didn't read it, but it's a, it's a random genealogy almost at first glance. Uh, and it's a genealogy of the Levitical priesthood, and it goes all the way past Aaron to his grandson, Phineas. Now, Phineas became a total stud in God's kingdom, but they had all these priests because they were called to be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, and a holy nation, different from all other nations, a living, breathing signpost to Yahweh. And we are to fulfill that same ministry. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, lifting from Exodus 19, he said, we, the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a people who've been redeemed and given an identity for a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of our God as a priesthood or holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You see, our God wants to take as many people as possible through this redemption, identity, purpose cycle. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And God gives us this mission. So question number one that I said we could ask is, what, what am I building? Question number two, to whom do I belong? Question number three would be, what is my mission? What is my purpose? We have to remember this purpose. Our lives are meant to be lighthouses. 
Now, now when we say that, that our lives are meant to be lighthouses or salt and light, this does not mean that we need to broadcast the light of moral perfection to human beings. Uh, First of all, that's impossible, right? (laughs) You guys are doing better than maybe I think you are. Uh, we, we, We cannot broadcast moral perfection because we don't have it, okay? But secondly, it's dangerous. It's pharisaical and a total dead end that will destroy you and will destroy others, if that's our message, moral perfection. What we're to broadcast is the light of the mercy and grace of God that we have received from him. Uh, John Stott said it this way in his book, Christian Mission in the Modern World. He said, but a Christianity which would use the vertical preoccupation, my devos, my time with Jesus, my worship vertical, as a means to escape from its responsibility for and in the common life of man is a denial of the incarnation of God's love for the world manifested in Christ. I love John Stott. He just said stuff. Okay, so uh, I said that redemption brings us back to day six. Identity brings us back to day seven. Purpose actually brings us right back, I think, to day six of creation again. On the sixth day, God told humanity to be fruitful and multiply, which, don't you think that sounds just like what the church is supposed to do? We're to go into all the world and make disciples. We're to be fruitful and multiply. Everything we've thought about today, that God gives us redemption and identity and purpose, it helps explain the transformation that the Hebrews went through in the book of Exodus. God pulled them out of Egypt into himself in order to send them to the nations. And he, he does the same for us. This is the reason I slowed down on these three verses is because this is just God describing what he does over and over and over and over again. And I do think that this was a creed that they were supposed to memorize and say to themselves and to their children and to each other, hey, remember, we're a redeemed people. We have an identity from our God. And we have a reason for life. We have a purpose. And God is saying to that, uh, that to us over and over again. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.